so I'm Jag Singh. I'm the managing director of Techstars here in Berlin. Um, I'm uh, one of Europe's most active angel investors, but I currently run the Berlin Accelerator for Techstars. Uh, we invest in 10 companies a year. We bring them in for three months and we give them a whole lot of coaching and, and um, provide you know a ton, a ton of value through mentorship. And um, we then kind of send them out into the world uh, and, and you know, keep tabs on them and, and keep working with them forever. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this episode, we introduce Jag Singh entrepreneur, investor, political strategist, and currently managing director of Techstars Berlin. We're talking early stage startups, angel investing, acceleration, and Techstars famous give first ethos. So for you listeners out there that are either contemplating or just beginning your journey into startup life, this episode is for you. Hope you enjoy it. Coming to you from WHU on the banks of the Rhine River. In beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Well, awesome. Jag, thank you so much for having me here in your new offices in, in Berlin. Um, as uh, as you know, I'm a, a big fan and a big advocate of Techstars as it uh, comes, it was originated in my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. Absolutely, is right. And I uh, have a lot of friends as part of this organization. So I've known about the Berlin program for a long time and uh, I've been really excited for this opportunity to, to meet you guys and see what's going on. And awesome. We, we love, you know, seeing uh, uh, you know, people from Boulder come by and, and uh, no, it's, it's great. And thanks for having me on, on this podcast. It's, it's awesome. 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 So I'd like to start maybe by learning a little bit more about you. I think it's really important to kind of um, hear how you went from, you know, being a young person to being an entrepreneur, investor, and now being the, the MD here at Techstars in Berlin. So maybe sure. you could tell us a little bit about your journey. All right. Um, in, a, in a nutshell, I kind of... Um, I was born in Asia, grew up in the U.S., and then lived in London for for a period of time. Um, but a lot of the things that happened in my life are, are kind of I, I tend to think of them. Um, I tend to think that they happened by accident, uh, not necessarily by design. So I um, uh, I went to college really early and you know, kind of burned out after a period of time. Um, and in that process of burning out, uh, so this is you know the U.S. Uh, this is the deep south in the U.S. in North Florida, pretty much South Georgia, um, town called Tallahassee. No one's ever heard of it, but it's a state capital uh, for those of you listening who don't know. And um, uh, you know, this was right or in the run up to the um, Iraq wars. This is in 2003, and you know, I'm, I'm a junior in college, and uh, yeah, there's, there's some guy who's like a little, being a little bit racist, and and. Um, uh, next thing I know, I decked him. For some reason, I decked him. Uh, but you know, I, 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 he was an acquaintance. We kind of knew each other. I picked him up uh, off the ground, and um, unfortunately, a campus security guard saw this incident and uh, he had to report it. 
which meant, uh, you know, the university was like, Hey, you're, you're a good kid. Like, yeah, we, we know nothing's wrong, but just to cover our ass, we've got to get you to go see a, um, anger management specialist. Anyway, long story short, like after 30 minutes, the anger management specialist, the, the shrink is like, all right, you're fine. You know, you're, you're 17 year old kid. Like you, you, you know, you're good. Like you don't have, uh, any issues. You just, you have hormones and, and, uh, you need an outlet. So she says, my husband's running for mayor. Why don't you come work on his campaign? So I walk on up and, um, literally my very first day, uh, you know, my background's in math and first day, uh, they just, for some reason assumed I could, uh, fix your computers. I wonder what gave that, like what gave them that impression? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so they're like, Hey, can you, um, can you just, uh, I think something had happened to one of the computers. They're like, Oh yeah. Can you just, um, uh, flash the, flash the, uh, BIOS and, and then install this new motherboard in there. And I was like, for some reason, I, uh, I think, uh, my brain just lacks that ability to say no. So I was like, yeah, okay, sure. I went away, uh, you know, this is back in the day before like Amazon prime or, or even lots of before YouTube. So you can just look up how to, um, uh, open up a computer on, on YouTube and, and you know, figure out how to do it. Uh, so I went to the library, got, got a bunch of books, taught myself how to like open up, you know, uh, uh, a computer and look at the internals of a computer. And it's like, Oh, this is interesting. All right. I figured it out. Um, showed up to the office a week later. They never really questioned why it, it took me a week to solve, solve that problem out. But after a week, um, uh, they kind of ran out of, of techie things for me to do. So they were like, Hey, what else can you do? Um, and I looked around and I, I realized there was a whole lot of inefficiencies in the way that the business of politics was done. Um, political campaigns, you know, were primarily run on, on pen and paper and, and a whole bunch of intuition. Um, and I kind of started figuring out that there was ways, there were ways of introducing technology into the processes behind the scenes, um, to make everything more efficient. And so that was kind of my entry point into being an entrepreneur entirely by accident. Um, you know, up until that point, I assumed I was going to be an academic, um, and I caught the bug and, and, you know, from that point on, I, I, I'd always been super interested in in current affairs and news, but from that point on, I, I can trace it all back to that, that moment where I was like, damn, the, all right, politics, this, this is where the action's at. I want to be part of that. Um, and then, you know, that, that kind of one thing led to another. I ended up working for, um, some incredibly cool politicians. Um, uh, John Kerry back in 2004, and then, uh, you know, had a short stint in the U in the UK working for some politicians there in 2005. And then I moved back. Um, I got called back to work for Hillary Clinton for three years, um, which was, you know, uh, amazing, especially when you're you know, 23, 24, uh, you know, and suddenly you have all this all this power and control, and you're you're playing around with data, and you're seeing a ton of things, um, and so you know all my entrepreneurial ventures have come out of out of the uh, political or media markets. My first startup was a effectively an ad tech company um, that uh, was wrapped around an algorithm that I'd written that. You know, back in 2006, we kind of patented and, and uh, licensed out to a company that was then acquired by another company that was then acquired by Facebook. You know, you know how the, the way these things work. Um, second company, you know, was uh, a media property again focused on the political market. Um, you know, building communities it was kind of like a Reddit, but um, I guess you could say it was a hyper-targeted Reddit before Reddit you know, became really big. 
Um, and that was, you know, uh, we had an exit to a, a large media publisher, publishing firm in the UK. Um, the third company was a, a crowdfunding platform for politicians. Uh, you know, I learned more about the regulatory kind of challenges that politicians face than, than anyone ever needs to know. Um, we uh, learned about the nuances of, of raising money and spending money for politicians on the politician's perspective. Um, we had this weird situation where some of the politicians were raising more money than they were legally allowed to spend. Um, in some countries, they're, they're spending limits, and you know you got to be creative around that. And, and that was super interesting. And then the fourth one was a big data company, um, again aimed at uh, uh, advocacy and, and kind of. You know, uh, large scale kind of grassroots movements, um, but that one was a was a was didn't quite work out, um, and I'm actually glad it didn't because a couple of years later, uh, pretty much the same idea was was pitched by Cambridge Analytica, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we didn't go down that that rabbit hole. Right. Yeah, and, and along the way, you know, I started investing in, in um, startups as an angel. I uh, I thought, you know, what better way to learn um, than to spend some of my own cash? And along the way, invested in a few accelerators, invested in a whole bunch of um, companies all around the world. Mostly, uh, the companies are all around the world, but most of the action was in the U.S. and the U.K. And after amassing a portfolio of, of uh, a large number of, of early stage startups, you know, some of them started to go through to Series A, Series B rounds. Um, and I started to take this a little bit more serious. And I thought, okay, well, I want to be a professional investor. And um, I'd invested in three companies that went through TechStars, so I kind of knew the folks at TechStars. You know, we we all thought uh, we saw the world in the same way, uh, and they were super nice. And, and uh, yeah, you, you've got experience with with TechStars people; they're, they're they can be addictive, um, and and you know, just the mood and the vibe. And uh, yeah, so about a couple of years ago, they you know there was an opportunity to move to Berlin, and then I took it. I jumped at it because. I had never worked in Europe. Um, I've worked in the, I've worked in Asia. I've worked in the U.S. I've worked in the U.K. Uh, and as we know, the U.K. is not part of Europe. <laughs> not for long, at least. Right? <laughs> not for long. Who knows? Um, and uh, so, you know, Berlin gave me a soft landing to all of Europe. And, and yeah, it's, I'm a year and a half in. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you've uh, you're in the, a place of incredibly high energy. I think right now is this is. One of Europe's fastest growing cities, and now I guess its largest tech hub. Is that? I think so. I think so. I lose track. I mean, the the nice thing is, you know, um, or the cool thing about Berlin is that you've got proximity to some amazing hubs. You know, they may be smaller. They may be. They may even be bigger. Um, You know, from Amsterdam to Paris to uh, Munich. You know, to like Romania. You know, Bucharest and Sofia. They're all like an hour and a half away. At most, so yeah, it's 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 really cool to be like right in the middle in, in the center ground.
I'm interested in your your background a little. You came from a mathematics background, so you obviously had some technical capacities yeah. in there as well. You you built these few businesses. It sounds like they were largely bootstrapped, or were you raising capital for those businesses? The, the first one was uh, uh, actually we raised a small kind of friends and family round. Um, by friends and family, I mean I also got some really dumb investors involved. Um, I remember my, my first angel investor was a pub landlord. He gave me ten thousand pounds or ten thousand, uh, yeah, basically ten thousand pounds for ten percent of the company. Um, and no, he didn't even offer me like office space in the pub. Um, yeah, uh, he got a really nice, you know, healthy three thousand percent return on on his investment. But uh, it's one of those moments where you realize, you know, the value of having. Um, you know, we throw this term "smart money" around a lot, but I realize there's a lot of value in having um, angel investors who really get it and who understand how to help early stage young entrepreneurs. I mean, I was 21 and you know, thought I could ta- I thought I could sort of tackle the world and 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 take on the world and, and just you know tackle every challenge that came my way. Yeah, every every 21 year old thinks he or she or, or is invincible. Um, but you know, I, I got my ass handed to me a few times, and and it, had I, I look back now, and had I um, surrounded myself with with you know real mentors, um, not just people who just wanted to be on the journey, I'm pretty sure I, I would have had a much easier like path, and uh, probably also more rewarding because I, I look back at some of those those um, entrepreneurial experiences, and they were hard, and like you know, there's a part of me that just um, it's probably dead, having been through those, and yeah, I think you you've experienced some of those as well. Um, and so, you know, it's one of the things that that made me really think, to, like, really kind of sit up when when the opportunity to tech stars came around, because you know we are all about mentorship, right? And, and you know, every program has a curated pool of mentors. Uh, yeah, so that was that was probably one of the, the biggest learnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I had the same experience or very similar experience for sure. Yeah. In, in terms of, you know, you're you're young and you're myopically focused, yep. and yep. you think you can solve every problem along the way, yep. and you're running 100 miles an hour, and sometimes you don't take the time to reflect and to seek the wisdom of other people because you're Absolutely. so goal focused at that Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why programs like this, I think, can be so powerful, and I want to talk about that in a second. But, sure. Um, I'm interested in your transition in going from an entrepreneur to being an investor. Yeah. You know, I like to tell people that everything I learned about venture capital, I learned from screwing up myself mm-hmm. and messing up cap tables, picking the wrong investors, and most of the anxiety and loss of well-being I had during some of my entrepreneurial journeys were a result of those anxieties from essentially bringing on team members. Yep. Um, in exchange for capital yep. that may not have been the exact fit that I was I was hoping for. Absolutely. As someone that you know went from university straight into being a multiple time founder, yeah. how did you? How do you feel like you learned how to be a, a good investor? Was it trial and error? Was it your own entrepreneurial experiences? Maybe it, you can talk about that kind of yeah, tr- sure. transition. It, it, it was a mixture of both. I'd say my my own experiences were. Uh, you know, I'd say riddled with a lot of a lot of uh, challenges and, and also errors. Um, I definitely can look back and say you know, I made a ton of mistakes. Um, 
but it, it was also a different time in 2005, 2006. People weren't sharing, you know, what was going wrong, right? Like we, you know, Medium wasn't around, right? Like today, you could just look at any, you just look up at look up Medium, and, and you'll find twenty stories, kind of dissecting how a startup failed, or, or you know, how a startup may have succeeded, or, or what makes a startup succeed. Back then, there just we didn't have this this body of knowledge, and you know, so uh, one, if you're an entrepreneur today, you should be very thankful you have all these resources at, at your disposal. Um, on the but being an investor requires a very different set of skills than being an entrepreneur, right? Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're really in control. Um, when you're an investor, it's it's actually about. Um, I think the probably the most important skill I learned wasn't through my entrepreneurial background, but through my political background. Um, it's about reading people. It's about being able to kind of assess whether someone's really telling you what. They think they want you to hear, or what they're really saying, and kind of digging into that. Um, you know, so I, I just assume that most entrepreneurs, even the ones I've invested in, are probably lying to me at some point, right? Because they're telling me a version of the truth that they want or they see as a potential like version. And and so, you know, being a good angel investor actually requires digging down and, and not necessarily judging them because. Um, yeah, I, I, just going back to my political background, you know, we, we used to run like polls for, um, uh, yeah, so we used to do like opinion polling for, for some of the political parties and, you know, we'd, we'd call up, um, voters in random constituencies and they'd be very adamant and say, but it's saying, yeah, yeah, I've, I've voted for, you know, this party my entire life and I voted for that candidate. And I'm like, that candidate didn't even stand in the last election. So yeah, how'd you vote for him? But um, but in their heads, you know, they came out of the ballot box thinking that they voted for that person. And you, know, you can't fault them for it. And it's the same with entrepreneurs. You know, you, you have to kind of dig in and really understand what's motivating them, why they're kind of saying some of the things that they're saying, and what they really want to do. And then it's the the second realization is um, and this this probably comes from being an employee, is uh, when you're an angel investor, you don't really have that much control, right? Like you can give as much advice as you want, but ultimately you're on the entrepreneur's journey. Like the entrepreneur is not on your journey, and it's really important to have that that positioning right. Um, and so I guess those are the, the the kind of formative experiences that I've kind of taken with me, and, and you know, hopefully have made me a better investor. I don't think I'm a great investor yet. Like you know, give give me another twenty years and I'll get there. Yeah, I mean there's. Uh there's a lot to learn in in that experience, and yeah. I think you're in a you have an interesting background in that you've been an entrepreneur and you've been now an investor in multiple parts of the world. Yeah, and you know I feel like a lot of my most valued, at least personally valued, experience is my entrepreneurial experience in different cultures and in different settings. Totally, you, you really learn a lot by dealing with uh, different different mentalities, different ways of doing business. Yeah, um, I'm curious. Uh, to hear a little bit about your experience as a, as an investor in these different contexts, um, both the way you do business and perhaps how you see other angel investors doing business. And I was telling you offline that, you know, I was here ten here in Germany ten years ago, yeah. raising capital yep. and had a very challenging and different experience. And within six weeks, I had raised my first round after wow. I moved back to the U.S. Right and. Um, 
So I'm curious about what you see as maybe some of the differences between angel investors, particularly in the early stage. I yep. think that's the majority of the audience we're kind of talking to here sure. and how you see early stage investors in Europe and Germany, the UK versus the US yep. and uh, any opportunities or obstacles you might see. Wow. Okay. Uh, where, 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 yeah, it's a big way. Where do we start? <laughs> how much time do we have? Um, I guess, okay, so let's break that down. In terms of the uh, differences, I guess, you know, angel investors are mostly shaped by their own experiences. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a, uh, a, a you know, it's, 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 a, it's an obvious thing to say. But um, when you dig a little deeper, I guess, you know, you look at the angels that um, were successful here in Germany over the last few years, and many of them were successful because they invested in, or sorry, many of them were successful in investing in specific types of companies led by a specific type of founder. And so these biases are actually very natural. Um, and, you know, as long as the, the music's, as long as the music keeps playing and, and you know, the parcel gets, keeps getting passed around, um, there's, there's not really a problem with it. But when the music stops or slows down, that's when you know, the game is literally up. Um, and so, you know, the, the Berlin ecosystem was shaped by the growth of uh, and fueled by the, the growth of marketplaces. And, you know, many of the founders who led those marketplaces then became angels. And, and so the cycle has you know, continued for, for quite some time. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the, the strength that I see from the Berlin perspective is, you know, Berlin's been shaped um, by its most recent history. Um, there's been a clash of cultures, right? You've got the capitalists, you've got the socialists, and you've got the anarchists. And, you know, for the last 20, 25 years, it's been this, like, you've had people from all over the world, mostly from Europe, um, the, the kind of educated, uh, incredibly educated, but also uh, world, educated and world aware, kind of um, misfits from around Europe, coming to Berlin to make it their utopia. Um, and, and now increasingly we're seeing, you know, people who don't necessarily fit in the U S start to think of Berlin as a, as a suitable kind of second base. And, um, you can, you can kind of look at the, uh, contrast that that provides to the, you know, the second and third generations that have come out of the Mittelstand families, uh, who have incredible amounts of wealth and, and, and resources and tools and, and talent at their disposal. Um, and, you know, and, and also come from a background where it's a, the, the methodical kind of German way of like, well, let's actually analyze something before we, we just shoot our maths off and compared to the kind of the, uh, <laughs> some, someone referred to me as a wild eyed, you know, American cowboy the other day, uh, cause I, I tend to shoot my mouth off uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> and proud of it. Uh, but you know, it, you, you contrast that with, with the, the German kind of methodical, uh, way of doing things and. And what actually comes out of that is quite beautiful because you you get this clash of different cultures and backgrounds, um, which you normally, funnily enough, you wouldn't get in a lot of um, places that we would consider you know diverse. So, if, you know, I, I speak to a lot of investors, and and uh, you know some of them are like, well, you know, we we've got to we've got to we've got to start diversifying, and we're we're looking for diverse founders and and uh, companies with diverse teams and and you know companies with diverse founders. Uh, so we're going to go invest in India. I'm like, that's cool, but you know, you're very likely to, to invest in a company or you're very likely to talk to a company that um, you know, 
whilst uh, the founders may be of a different skin color or come from a different different uh, religion or whatever, they're actually still very homogenous because they're homogenous to that culture, right? They're homogenous to that background. Um, and so, uh, again, going back to the strengths of Berlin, I think what's, what a lot of angel investors are starting to realize now is there's an incredible amount of diversity just in Berlin alone, um, and it's happened all naturally, which is super exciting. It's not, you know, um, uh, it's not been imported in by the government like you see in, in, in Russia or, or even in the UK where, you know, there's tax incentives that distort um, uh, the fundraising ability for, for early stage startups. Um, you know, this is, this is you know, the angels in Berlin are, are putting their hard earned cash into companies. And I think a lot of them are learning from their experiences, which I can't fault. I'd be interested to ask one more question about angel investing. I want to make sure I got time about with Techstars. But, um, you know, a lot of the audience who will be listening to this um, are young people that are nascent entrepreneurs or on their their first startup journeys and potentially looking for that early stage capital Mm -hmm. as someone who is now steeped in the German ecosystem a little bit more. Maybe you could share what you look for, what types of criteria you look for for early stage investments. I've um, so I, I made the mistake a long time ago by when, when I first started out. Actually, um, I used to invest in companies because of the idea, right? I, I fell in love with an idea, and I was like, "Oh my god, this idea is going to kill it, and just it's going to take over the world, and I'm going to make a billion dollars by being the first investor in this." And uh, let's just say that was a very easy exercise and losing a lot of money. And uh, I kind of hit this point uh, a couple of about actually about four or five years ago, where I, I I started to realize the companies that were increasingly successful were led by com- were led by founders who had a ton of experience in the domains and, and the industries that they were tackling. Um, you know, so some some of the investors of or some of the academics have, have coined terms um, uh, that describe this, but the way I like to talk about it is, is founder market fit. Right? Is is this founder or set of founder? Are these set of founders the best people to tackle this market? Um, and for super early stage companies like pre-seed, seed, that's really all you have to go on because the founders are going to be the ones that have the most amount of experience in this industry. They're going to have the most amount of um, knowledge about the problem, and the, hopefully the customers, uh, as long as they're talking to the customers. And uh, you know, those are the kinds of founders I like to bet on. Right? And and. In recent years, so in the last couple of years, I've added a filter to that or a new dimension, which is I like betting on underestimated founders um, because that's where I see the most you know, upside. Um, and funnily enough, there's a ton of them. Uh, you know, some of them are obviously women. Some of them are people of color. Some of them, you know, have have uh, different sexual orientations. But 
um, many of these are underestimated by the vast majority of, of investors out there. So you could call it, you know, you could say I'm taking a slightly contrarian view to investing, but uh, I feel like that's the one that that that's a strategy that I'm most comfortable with. And if you're an angel investor, it's it's all about picking one strategy and then sticking to it because angel investing isn't. You know, it's it's not like betting on the stock market where, you know, stock price could go up by you know, volatility could increase by twenty percent in one day. Angel investing is a long term uh, game, right? You can't do it, and you know, you don't see results for at least two or three years. Um, you won't see your money back if you even if you if you do at all for seven or eight years sometimes. Um, and you know, you've, you've got to. You got. To, I, I see a lot of angel investors making the mistake of, of investing in one round and then trying to cash out of the next, and that's not really angel investing. That's just you know making money on, on the journey, right? Like angel investing is is a long term prospect because you will find companies go from seed pre seed to seed to Series A and do really well, but then once they hit Series B or C, that's when they start to struggle with scaling or not really having the right culture in place. And these are all things that you have to learn as an angel investor to look out for, because a company that doesn't have its culture right from the get-go is not going to is probably not going to succeed or go very far. Again, there's there's always you know uh, uh, exceptions, but and and if you learn to spot that when when you're looking at a company in the seed stage, you're going to be so much the better for it. Yeah. yeah. When we brought a group of students to to Boulder yeah. this past spring, uh, David Brown was talking about. In detail about what TechStars looks for in companies, right. and you know, he said his top three criteria are team, team, and team. That's and, right. You know, you, I think you hear that a lot these yep. days, but really breaking that down a little bit and understanding what do you mean by team? Is yeah. There, you know, obviously these are intelligent, motivated people for the most part, but really understanding that they have domain expertise, that right. you know, they have the right culture between one another. That, right. Um, and and I thought it was interesting the under underrepresented side a little yeah. bit too that sometimes fuels a fire that other people may not necessarily have or used yeah. to being the underdog. And I mean, what's a bigger underdog than being a a startup founder. Exactly. You know? so, exactly. I think that's a really neat, neat way to kind of think of it. I'm also interested. One of the things that I talk to young people a lot about is the process of choosing an right. investor. Right. Oftentimes, I had the experience where I hadn't had a paycheck in 22 months when I was building a company and bootstrapping it, and you know, I was watching our our runway slowly yep. dissipate oh, and yeah. you're desperate for capital yep. and all of a sudden you get someone offering you a, a six figure check yep. and you're going this is holy this shit is this is the answer I, now I can pay my phone bill now exactly yeah. you yeah. know I've got a place to sleep yep. I can pay the office bill or whatever it might be but um, that often can lead down um, undesirable paths yeah. can you share a little bit about your thoughts on this idea of a it's a two-way interview, yep. and you know I think so many people are thinking that we need to find the capital, and that's yep. the answer. Yep. But I always try to advise people: is you're choosing, like you said, a six to seven-year partner yep. in this process. Yep, it's um, like a marriage. Yeah. What What do you think founders should look for in their angel investors? Um, I think there's two things that you want to look for. If you're a founder and in, 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 in you know if you're a founder in 2019 2020 and you're looking for um, an angel investor, you want someone who um, has a. It's not just about the angel investor themselves, but about the network that they can bring. Number one, um, 
the you want to look for it and you know there's probably three types of angel investors right like there's angel investors who have extensive networks and, and uh, lists of contacts those are good there's also angel investors who are, are former operators um, and you know will likely have uh, thought about some of the challenges that you're you're tackling in whatever company you're you're, you're building um, and they may not have as big a network but they're just as valuable, right? Because they can sit with you for 24, 48 hours um, at a stretch and go, right, no, this is this is how we did this back in the day. This is, you know, what what else is going on in the market today? Here's how I would do it. And, and you know, in many cases, I, I actually see a lot of, um, some in some of the portfolio companies that, that, that I have, uh, you know, there's other angel investors who, who literally join them for like a week and, and are fixing bugs or or you know helping them talk to customers, right? There's so there's there's the, a lot of angel investors who are effectively paying you to be an operator, um, you know, as a founder. I, I think that's an incredible bargain and, and uh, it's really worth it. Um, and then there's the, the third type of investor, which is you know very passive, and, and you sort of want to just you know as an investor, you just give them a little cash and you say, well, call me you know once a quarter and let me know what's up, what's down, how I can help, whatever. Um, Ultimately, I think angel investors. If you're a founder, you should you should be looking for angel investors who start the um, conversation with the words, "How can I help you?" Right. Um, I think that that really everything else kind of cascades from that and just falls into place after after they've um, after you've made clear to the angel investor that again I kind of alluded to this earlier, but the angel investor is on the entrepreneur's journey. It's not the other way around. Right, they're lucky to be investing in you, um, and and again, they're investing in you, not even your company. So you have to get that that positioning right. But once you do, everything else falls into place. Um, I see a lot of um, founders now chasing, you know, large um, valuations, and, and there's this there's this phrase that someone said I can't remember who uh, who said you know when when. If you're if you're talking to an uh, uh, an investor, the way it usually goes is all right. You know the investor will say, "Well, you set the valuation, and I'll set the terms, right?" So you may find um, a lifeline in in you know in terms of cash uh, cash injection from an investor, but the devil's always in the details, and the small print is you know something that a lot of a lot of early stage founders make the mistake of not really understanding. Um, I see a ton of confusion around, uh, you know, liquidation preferences. I see a ton of confusion around uh, some of the other terms, and so I just think the most important thing is to understand, uh, you know, if if you have an, a, an investor in front of you who is saying, yeah, yeah I'll help you. Here's you know uh, a ton of cash, but I want you know two x liquidation preferences. Um, Add a whole bunch of other rights and and the ability to buy the company at, at a at a discount if if things don't work out, walk away, yeah. right? Walk away. It's just not worth it. Yeah, and it could screw up later investment rounds. It so. it will almost always screw up later investor investment rounds. Um, I I made this mistake once uh, with one of my companies where we were negotiating with a a investor and you know the way the the legal. So here's the funny, here's the fun, here, okay, the good, the good anecdote is this: um, we had a you know a little mom and pop lawyer. Uh, we were paying him like three grand or something for the whole you know set of paperwork, and and we, we we'd entered into this um, conversation and negotiation with with a big investor, um, and it wasn't until and for 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 about a week, his his 
the the investors' lawyers went cold, and um, for for a whole week. And we were like, "Hey, what's going on? Maybe he's just got cold feet or something." And and uh, it wasn't up until like a few months later that we realized um, the the opposing law firm or the law firm that was representing the investor um, was actually negotiating Wayne Rooney's contract um, in that same week. And so they were kind of busy. And so basically, we we just we had you know one lawyer, and they had a team of twelve. Um, who you know for for a week needed to just work on something else and they would come back, um, and you know we were outmatched and and the way some of the legal documents were written basically if we missed our our revenue projections by a penny, um, the investor would end up owning ninety nine point nine percent of the company, wow. right and and that was like a it was a small detail in in the revenue forecast for three years down the line, um, but keeping control of your company is is it's your company right. If you don't have control of your company, then why are you building it? Some of those those horror stories of messing up your cap table, offering yep. liquidation preferences that are not founder friendly. Yep. Um, I know so many stories where people have gone on to A rounds or or institutional capital yep. and they couldn't clean up the cap table. Right. So people that wanted to invest in them were were forced to walk away. Yeah. So I think um, I had a conversation with Sven Groylik at Oric about uh, these legal pitfalls on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I think that's. Uh, that's something that, in points of desperation, yeah. can often get get overlooked. Yeah. So you know, in the end, remembering that you, as the founder, it's your business, it's your team, right. it's your idea, it's your company. You know, you got to keep it that way. Are you finding that um, as an investor, and even potentially um, as the MD of TechStars, you're running into a lot of messy cap tables and tons. I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm still active as an angel, and I see. Um, you know, I'm seeing Series A companies where the CEO owns eight percent of the company, right? And and it's like pretty much the only founder on the on the team left. And it's like, uh, where how is this company going to go? You know, three or four more fundraising rounds. Like, uh, how is this company going to become a billion dollar company with CEO owns less than like half a half a tick or half a percent? Like, that's not the way this works. Um, so yeah, I, I see. I see, we see a ton of companies and and. Even at the earliest stage, um, you know, Techstars tends to invest in companies pre-Series A. We see companies that you know have sometimes raised a million, um, and there's a lot of challenges that that come with managing those investors and their expectations against you know the the new direction that a company might take after they come out of our program, for example. Um, so the, the, yeah, I wish there was an easier way. I, I wish. Um, uh, I wish it was actually getting easier, but it, I think it's actually getting harder because as more and more companies come into the market, as more and more angel investors start investing, uh, yeah, there there is no true north 
for angel investors out there. And you know, I think probably one of the biggest challenges, if you're, if you're raising, if you're starting out a company today, even uh, beyond you know hiring the right talent or making sure that you know, you're, you've got you find that elusive product market fit, um, I think you're, one of your biggest challenges today as a founder is getting the right set of getting the right set of investors on board. Um, that's probably I, I would say that's probably a bigger challenge than even finding the right talent today. Right. Right. Well, I think that's a good segue then into talking a little bit about the work that you're doing now because obviously. Um, Connecting founders to investors is a big part of what you guys do at uh, at TechStars. Absolutely. Can you maybe just start for those that aren't informed? I'm sure most people have an understanding what um, acceleration is, and uh, I use that word lightly. I think it's tending to uh, it's been bastardized in oh, many God, ways yeah. in, in different contexts and. Um, we had Jörg Reinbolt of APX on here cool. uh, a few weeks ago as I'm well, sure. and he he's hesitant to even use that term. He said it's been ruined in Germany. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. can you maybe just give us the kind of brief pitch on kind of how TechStars works and and what it does and what the value proposition to a, an early stage startup is? Sure. So um, the way we structure the accelerators is that they last for twelve weeks, and Effectively, the outcome that we're looking for is we, um, and again, I say the outcome that we, as in we, the, the people who run the accelerators, the outcome that we're looking for is we want to be able to help a company grow um, in in that three-month period, in that 12 weeks, uh, probably the same the same distance or, or go the same distance that they would have on their own in 18 months, right? So, it's literally about adding fuel to the fire. And so, first, there has to be a bit of fire. Um, because you know you can pour you can pour fuel and over nothing and you'll still get nothing. Um, you just get a little wet. Um, uh, and so the the second outcome that we look for is um, kind of determined by the company founders themselves. And so we're probably the only accelerator that has an equity back guarantee. And the the way that works is at the end of the program, if you don't if as a founder if you don't believe you've had the value um, that we promised you. You can just buy your shares back at exactly the same price. Like you know, we're not going to treat you differently. We 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 stand by our, our promise and our, our values. Um, and I think it's those, those two things are, are you know what bookend the the, the Techstars experience. In between, there's a ton of mentorship, so you get access to uh, real mentors. And and again, this is this is another bastardized term here in Germany, right? Like you know, mentors are a dime a dozen, but um, the mentors that that we we have a really curated network of mentors and and. We talk about our accelerator programs as mentorship-driven because ultimately it's the mentors that that drive the direction or help drive the direction that these founders might want to take the companies in. Um, and so, you know, we've got some amazing mentors, uh, some from competing accelerators, and and you know, we've got a ton of investors. We've got operators, people who've built their own companies, um, who are giving up their time voluntarily because they want to give back to the ecosystem. That's really what. Um, Binds you know the TechStars family together. It's we're all people who have accomplished a ton. I mean, some of the, you know if you look at at the managing directors, um, there's 45 of us around the world. You know, some of us have IPO'd. Some of us have have built companies from scratch. Some of us have have uh, built really large companies from scratch. Um, and some of us have, have you know very corporate backgrounds. But ultimately, we're this worldwide network um, that's there to serve the entrepreneurs and help the help the entrepreneurs succeed. Can you share how long has uh, 
the Berlin Techstars program been operating? Now? So we we started in Berlin in 2015, um, and up until last year, we actually had four different programs running, um, four different Techstars programs. So Techstars has historically um, run you know what we call city programs. These are uh, vertical agnostic programs or industry agnostic programs. And then in the recent years, we've also partnered with large corporations to help drive innovation in the corporation side, but also to, to unlock some of the, the talent and, and you know, uh, resources from the large corporations and deliver that to the startups that come into our programs. And so up until last year, we had four programs in Berlin, um, two in part, so we ran two programs in partnership with Metro, the big wholesaler. Um, I actually ran one of those programs. Uh, we had one retail focused and one hospitality focused. Um, and then we had another program in partnership with SAP. Um, and you know, last year we kind of had a restructuring and, and we, we found ourselves running, just having one flagship program here in Berlin, the city program. Um, and you know we, we've had probably a, we've through through ourselves and our partners we've probably invested in over 120 companies um, through our Berlin programs and some of these are, are big now I mean we had Rasa.ai just raise uh, 15 million from from uh, Index or Axel I can't remember what you know one of the big tier one companies um, we've had Impala that came through uh, our Metro Hospitality program just raised 10 million just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, and they've only been around for a couple of years. So we're starting to see companies uh, succeed because of our, our efforts, but more importantly, because of the efforts of the founders. Um, and we're starting to see the network that we helped uh, curate around them, a network that we helped deliver to these, uh, these founders and these startups start to really work um, in the favor of the, of the startups and founders. Are you seeing, can you tell me a little bit about the breakdown of your cohorts that you've been seeing here in Berlin? Uh, obviously, you're, you don't require them to be German companies. No, um, no. Or even based in Berlin after the program. Can That's you right. talk a little bit about the demographics and what kinds of businesses you've had and maybe the yeah. types that you're looking for? Sure. So we, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a truly agnostic, industry agnostic program. So we've had, in the last batch, um, you know, we actually, I, I caught a lot of flack for this because it was probably the only program um, run in Berlin that didn't have a single founder that was from Berlin or a single company that was even German. So we had, we had, you know, a founder from, we had a team from Australia, a team from Israel, two or three from the UK, a couple from Romania, one from the Netherlands, uh, and one from Denmark. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's a that's a cool thing because it highlighted that Berlin is such a melting pot, and and you know the fact that we're able to attract these companies from places like Australia, um, and you know help them hone their pitch and, and build their products and, and deliver a ton of value, and then send them on their way either to the UK or US. Um, I think that that's worked for us. But uh, the companies that applied, you know, last year I think we spoke to about a thousand different companies, and then we picked ten. So we're fortunate that we get to be very selective. But the companies that tend to come through again, I have imprinted my my own you know learnings into, into the the Texas program here, and so we look for companies that are that have you know um, that can exhibit founder market fit, right? That's probably the most important thing. Um, you know, the average age of the entrepreneurs that come in is is probably late thirties, early forties. You know, some of them are serial entrepreneurs. We had one entrepreneur in the last program. One of the founders had previously raised 
35, 40 million from Sequoia with his last company. Um, but the way he was looking at the world was that, you know, he, he'd had a lot of success, obviously, but also had done a lot of things um, right by accident. And, you know, he said, look, I, I want to build a company again. I'm building this new company, but I want to get everything right. And I want to have a, a, a real network that works for me and with me behind me on this journey. And I said, well, this is this is exactly what Techstars can do and deliver. Um, and, you know, it's only been eight months since we uh, since we invested. But I, I think we're, we're starting to deliver that. And and we'll see. Um, again, it's unfortunate that we can't have you know almost real time. Uh, uh, results or, or results after just a few weeks, but or months. But these are things that you know. I think in a year's time, you'll be able to look back and say, okay, actually, we, we definitely we definitely did the right thing there. Um, we definitely were able to help them, uh, and obviously they, they vouch for us, so that helps. Uh, the other interesting thing was in the last batch, uh, none of the out of the ten companies, seven were led by female CEOs, which was. An interesting experience because uh, I think the Berlin ecosystem wasn't necessarily ready for that. Uh, the Berlin investor ecosystem wasn't ready for that. You know, the the Berlin investor scene, the German investor scene, is uh, very male dominated, and and you know, we 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 saw that there were challenges that the female founders needed to kind of overcome in terms of how they were communicating their 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 vision and their pitch um, and their businesses to these investors. But but you know, we're we're also incredibly lucky that we have a ton of recognition from the investors themselves that they need to understand how to speak to uh, founders who don't look like them, right? Or don't have their backgrounds. Um, and so we saw a lot of investors come in and say, hey, look, you know, I, I just want to make sure that I'm getting this right. And I want to make sure that I don't use language that's that's inappropriate or, or you know, purposely offensive. Um, and so, you know, ha- help me out here. And, and so that was really, really rewarding to see that. Um, but again, just to go back to your question, I think in terms of you know industry, the last batch had everything from fintech to deep tech. Uh, we had a couple of fintechs. We had one deep tech uh, company focused on on uh, you know utilizing decentralized uh, uh, technologies. We had a couple of legal tech and, and HR tech companies, and then we also had a couple of consumer focused. Uh, uh, companies. So, you know, again, we take all sorts of companies as long as they, as long as we feel that we can help them, and as long as we can, we feel that we can help accelerate their businesses. Um, there's usually no, you know, uh, there's no, usually no impediment to sort of saying, actually, let's take this company into our program.
And we've talked a little bit about Techstars Touchpoint, mm. which is the, the founder side right. and the rec- recruitment of those uh, of those businesses. But uh, what about on the other side? Where are you guys, where do you pull your mentors from Like and investors as well? You have such a huge network around the world. Yeah. Um, are you focused on having... German mentors, do you bring them in, and where do you uh, find your investors so as well? We uh, well, the investors are are you know the, that's an easy one because they will respond to the the, the investors are only going to respond based on the strength of the companies we bring in, right? So and so we have to have a we have to set a really high high bar, and you know we we help the companies understand how they should talk to investors before we we set them loose on the investors. I sometimes feel bad for some of the investors because uh, they just get you know bombarded with with um, really well crafted pitches, and I'm like, damn, this is we're, we're making life hard for them, uh, which is which is a good thing. Um, uh, so the investors, are, you know, that, that's that's an easy bet because as long as we, I, I have this mantra: as long as I pick great companies, everything else kind of falls into place, right? And the, and the investors, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have co-invested with with many of the um, many many angels around Europe, so you know, I can sort of just you know give them a call or send them an email, say, hey, like, what do you think of this company? And they'll give me some candid feedback, um, even if they're not willing to do that directly with the startups. Um, and then you know, through the brand, the Techstars brand, we're we're trying to make it easier for investors in other parts of the world to access companies that come into our programs and in, in, you know on the other side of the world. Um, and so we're, we're you know we're matching investors. We have loads of events um, every year, like large ones, where we we bring founders and, and investors together, and we do lots of speed dating. Uh, we just had our big Techstars summit in Turin this past uh, this past September, and and you know we we saw a lot of. Uh, interest from uh, investors from the U.S., right? So, so you know, we're we're definitely doing some things right. We can always do more, and and I'm actually you know open to feedback and ideas. If, if any of you listening have ideas, shoot them my way. Um, on the mentor front, we're very selective because, again, you know, I think Jorg from APX will back me up here. If accelerator, if the term accelerator has been bastardized, the term mentor has also been bastardized. Um, and funny enough, we're, we've seen this in a lot of other programs. Mentorship in the U.S. means one thing. Mentorship in India means something completely different. Um, you know, where it's almost transactional. And so, mentorship in, in Germany is kind of somewhere in between. Uh, but we have a lot of people who just want to mentor for the sake of being mentors, and they don't quite understand the the time commitment and the energy and, and you know effort it takes. And so, we have a kind of vetting process for the for the mentors. Um, we we. We, I was fortunate when I took over the Berlin City program. You know, I, I had a pool of really great mentors, and, and you know, in the last couple of years, we've been trying to augment that with with um, additional skill sets. So the mentors are usually uh, curated to reflect the needs of the startups that come into our, our program, and uh, you know, so we'll have experts from ranging from product to to fundraising to uh, well, literally any aspect of of. Um, Help that a, that a the founder might need, a startup might need. Uh, so we have a we have a pretty extensive vetting process for those mentors. What we find is great mentors tend to actually refer other mentors, and so like we're, we're, we grow that organically. Uh, but there's also a kind of uh, an upper limit, right? Like you can't have 500 mentors because we only, unfortunately we only have 10 startups, um, and that's one of the things we're trying to fix. We're trying to make the programs a little bit more. Open, and we're trying to make TechStars a little bit more open to the whole ecosystem, and so we're starting to, you know, we're going to start delivering um, 
we're start delivering like workshops, public facing workshops where we're going to get some mentors to come in and, and deliver some of these workshops. And, you know, like one of our, our, you know, we've got a whole bunch of star mentors, but one of our mentors is um, Nuno Simaria from uh, HelloFresh. Like he's a global CTO of HelloFresh, right? Got incredible technical uh, background, technical skills, knowledge, um, and commands a, a whole army of, of uh, uh, people in tech. And you know he comes in, and, and, and you know, if we can get him in and come do a workshop on um, you know, setting the culture within engineering teams, and you know we want to be able to deliver that not just to our programs, but also to literally the entire ecosystem. Um, I'm a big believer that you know the, the rising tide lifts all boats, and and so we're, we're trying to double down on all that. I want to ask one more question about Techstars, and then we'll got to wrap up here pretty soon. But it's one of my favorite parts of this organization, and uh, you see it at every every Techstars office you yep. go to. Um, Brad has written about it extensively in his books. And when I brought the students from Germany to yep. Boulder this year, it was this term that I think was the most powerful takeaway that they all had, yep. which is this concept of give first. Absolutely. Um, coming from Boulder myself and being relatively early in that tech <laughs> ecosystem, um, you live that. Yep. You, you know, it, it feels like there's an open door policy everywhere you go yep. and you reach out to someone and they're going to try to help before they say no. Yep. Um, can you share a little what give first means to you and maybe how you see that unfolding in the context of Berlin and yeah, Germany? Of course. Um, so, uh, you know, I have to admit when I, when I first heard the term, I was very cynical. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a born cynic. So, uh, you know, I first thought, Oh God, it's one of those bolder hippie things where <laughs> you just get first. But actually I, I saw it in action, um, with the, with the companies that I'd invested in. Um, yeah, and I'd invested in, in, in these companies before I'd even heard of Techstars. Um, in fact, like I'd invested in the companies before they went through Techstars. So, um, but I saw the uh, Techstars ecosystem, the community living this mantra uh, in in many of my own interactions with you know people who had been mentors in the you know in Techstars programs in London and, and in LA and in other parts of the world. And so, you know, it, it's it's a very simple concept, right? It's just saying, well, you give first, and and you give without expectation, um, and maybe you'll receive later. But you know, who cares, right? If you just keep giving, and, and everyone keeps giving, we're trying to build a whole. Uh, uh, the, the thesis we're trying to build there is, we want companies that come out of TechStars to live that mantra, obviously, and and you know, we 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 put it in, into practice throughout the program, and when we show them how it can work and how it can deliver more value for them. Um, but we're trying to build this this uh, theme around, you know, a company that comes through TechStars um, should be seen as a company that is actually a great um, a great company to supply to, right? It's not just about uh, companies that come out of TechStars, you know, are great investments. Actually, like we want a large corporate to see, oh, well, this is a TechStars company. Uh, Actually, you know, they pay their they they treat their people with respect. They pay their their uh, their employees, you know, uh, and and are fair to their employees. You know, they they treat others with kindness. They live this give first thing. We want to be part of that. So we, we kind of see it also as a differentiation. I mean, there there is a, a business logic to it, and you know, we see that as differentiation because we want employees to look at a textures company and go, uh, potential employees to look at a textures company and go, I want to work for that company because. They give first. 
Um, and you know, I also want to then give first. So it, it's kind of our way of, uh, making, you know, the, we talk so much about setting company culture and getting it right from the get go. Um, I think this is one of the ways that we're kind of making, uh, making a little bit more tangible and showing that, you know, this is how you set culture, uh, apart from, from, you know, some of the other ways of, of doing it. Do you see that Boulder thesis, this idea that is kind of grounded in Give First that, you know, Brad Feld has talked yep. so much about, about building ecosystems yep. around this concept. Do you see that something that is replicable in such a large, diverse city as Berlin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of the nice, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I, I, I chose Berlin and then chose to stay in Berlin, uh, because kindness is, is everywhere. Uh, and you know, I, I see I see a lot of give first in in Berlin. Uh, I see a lot of give first in, in again, not just in the mentors, but just you know everyday interactions. Um, and so it's I think it's a perfect city to kind of build up on on that. Uh, make it Boulder 2.0. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I don't know if we need another Boulder <laughs> in this world. But um, okay, two rapid fire questions. I ask. Every single person that's on this podcast, these questions, um, some people hate them, but too bad you're getting them anyway. So, uh, first one, um, what books on your bedside table? What are you reading right now? Is there anything you could share? Oh God, I've got, I've got my Kindle on my bedside and I'm trying to think what's the, um, uh, you know, I've probably got like seven unfinished books on my Kindle. I'm, I'm one of those guys. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think the, the one that I, I really am desperate to read is, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those Tom Clancy books. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's one of those, like, you know, it's, it's, it's fiction. It's, it's, uh, I can't remember the name, but it's, it's, yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Every single person I've interviewed so far has had the same answer. Oh man, I have like five books that I'm yep. like partway through, yep. but, uh, um, and it's always it's either something about you know building themselves, self help, entrepreneurship, and every once in a while it's like I want to tune out and just read yeah. some fiction and yep. turn that part of my brain off for yep. a little while. No, so. I, I love a good spy thriller. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. One more question Yo. in the similar vein: what's uh, what's on your playlist right now? You're in the uh, one of the music capitals of Europe. Yeah. What are you listening to these days? Uh, I am. F- I have a very eclectic kind of music, uh, a taste in music. Um, cause I listened from everything from like, you know, uh, I listened to a lot of foreign language, uh, uh, music because it helps me kind of maintain my, my, uh, uh, proficiency and fluency in, in many of these. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm listening to everything from like Cerebro's Mama Luba and like Russian to, uh, yeah, some Bollywood hit and like Hindi, uh, just some Kowali, which is, you know, uh, uh, like music from, from it's like Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan and stuff like that, you know, music from Northwestern, um, uh, India. And then, and then I'm listening to a bit, a bit of classical, uh, but I am a sucker for, um, like just basically any cheesy hit. So anything that's on Kiss FM in Berlin, <laughs> I'm probably like, you know, skipping a beat to that nice, nice. Yeah. well I'm, I'm surprised i didn't hear florida man saying leonard skinner in there too but <laughs> <laughs> jag singh thank you so much for taking the time inviting me into your lovely office and uh, having this conversation Garrett, come back and visit anytime and it's been a real pleasure I look forward to it thank you so much all right all right cheers well folks that was jag singh managing director of techstars berlin 
and one of Europe's most active angel investors. If you're interested in learning more about Jag's work, go to techstars.berlin or find him on Twitter at Jagsing. That's J-A-G-S-I-N-G-H. Coming soon in episode eight, we'll speak with Ferena Huberts, Vehau alum and co-founder of Berlin-based startup Kitchen Stories. If you like good food, appreciate badass founders, and believe in building lifestyles as much as you do businesses, this episode is for you. Bis nächstes Mal.